You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Morning, West Wind. Good morning. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. It's my prayer that uh, God's Holy Spirit will speak to all of our hearts, teach us, uh, reach us this morning with His Word. So by standing, you're showing uh, your value and honor of God's Word. We're continuing in 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. And it's Paul's prayer for believers. Here's his prayer. Verse 12, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. When I read through these verses, I saw that something was different about uh, this part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He breaks out in prayer. Does anybody still write letters today? A few, huh? Wow. Uh, Paul's writing back to the Thessalonians. I don't know how many months had expired, but if you remember, he was with them just for a few weeks. He imparted the gospel. Many trusted Christ experienced salvation, God's free gift. And they began to grow, and he began to teach, and they began to fellowship. But just like that, his time was up. And he's longing to see them again. The best he can do for now is write a letter. In the middle of his letter, he breaks out in prayer. And he includes the prayer. If you look at the verses preceding this one, verse 10, and really the previous two and a half chapters, you see Paul talking about prayer. You see him mentioning things he's praying about. But here we have Paul's prayer. So it will benefit us greatly to realize we get to see into Paul's heart. What was uppermost in his mind for these new believers? And I want us to see that and understand it, even though there's only three verses and three priorities in his prayer, to realize how important these three priorities are right here at West Wind. Okay? Paul's prayer exposes his heart for the church. 
Paul's priorities for the Thessalonians need to be our priorities for Western Church. So there's three priorities. We're going to go through each one a little bit of a time, a little bit on priority number one, a little more on priority number two, and then finish up with his third prayer priority. But here they are on the back side of your uh, paper, page, bulletin. What do we call them? Connect art. You see these three priorities. You can go ahead and fill in the blanks now. Number one, that God would direct a face-to-face reunion with the Thessalonians. That God would direct a face-to-face reunion with them. Why is that so important? It's for fellowship and for teaching. We'll talk about that a little more. Priority number two, that God would cause, cause them to grow in love for one another. Priority number two is linked to number one. Without fellowship and without teaching, we have a hard time growing in love for one another. Then priority number three, that God would establish, establish these believers in holiness because there's this great event coming when Jesus, the Lord, and all of his saints return. Priority number three is connected to priority number two. We'll look at that in a little bit. Okay? So, spending just a little bit of time with priority number one, that God would direct a face-to-face. That's what Paul longed for. Face time. Not Facebook. Not Zooming. But face time with these believers again. I ask if many wrote letters today and one or two hands went up. But many, many years ago, uh, I fell in love with this young lady right over here, Cheryl, my wife. After I fell in love with her, got to know her, guess what? We were separated for a year. She went to Texas to school. I went to this little school in Ames, Iowa called Iowa State. Come on. Yeah, yeah. We were separated by uh, hundreds of miles. Many, many years ago, there were no cell phones. I know that's hard to believe, Abby, no cell phones. And long-distance calls cost money. So guess what? If you're a college student, you don't have a lot of money. So you don't make long-distance phone calls either. I lived at the dorms, the towers on the south side of Ames, eighth floor Lance, gone now, I think. We had one phone on the floor, and you had to get in line if it was Friday evening to call whoever you wanted to call, and you had to pay for it. So I didn't use that. So I wrote letters, and Cheryl wrote letters back to me. And every day I'd get up, and the first thing I'd do is go down to the mailroom, look for my box. Is there a letter? And if there was a letter, it made my day. I read the letter. I reread the letter. 
I saved the letters. In fact, believe it or not, I still have the letters. They were that awesome. I'm not sure what she did with hers. Mine maybe weren't (laughs) quite so awesome, but I couldn't wait till Christmas time. As good as the letters were, nothing like being face-to-face, holding her hand, reading her emotions. Nothing as good as face-to-face. That's Paul's big desire. Got to be with you again. I want to teach you more. I want to see that you're growing. There's one other thing to notice in that first verse. Now, may our God and Father Himself. Why does Paul make that distinction? Now, may our God and Father Himself. Why couldn't He have just said, Now, may our God and Father? And Jesus our Lord, and go on. He makes that distinction because he's in the teaching mode. The Thessalonians didn't know anything about the Trinity. Here Paul makes it clear that the Father is distinct in the Godhead. And on equal footing is his Son, the Lord Jesus. So it's just cool to me to read and see in his prayer. He's wanting to see fellowship and he's wanting to continue the teaching. Okay? Priority number two. That God would cause them to grow in love for one another. Verse 12. Now this is where it gets difficult. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now you're not going to be able to grow in love for one another if you're not in Fellowship, that's why his second priority is connected to the first. And if you're not receiving teaching from the Word of God, you're not going to grow as easily or as accurately, honestly, in your love for one another. We need God's truth. We need His teaching. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound. Two Greek words, pretty similar in the Greek, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I do have a book where you can look them up. They're very similar. They're used interchangeably, but there's a little difference. What Paul means when he says, now may you increase, is that you keep on increasing. Last week you were here in your love for one another. Next month, hopefully you're here. And the next month, here. You should be increasing in love for one another. The second word, abounding, means you've increased to the point that, guess what? It's spilling over. It's overflowing. Our oldest uh, son, we have three, when he was about three, three and a half years old, we lived at Willowbrook Bible Camp. Uh, We had one other little baby at the time, eventually three, while we lived there. Something in the water, I guess. Um, But he would wake up hungry on Saturday morning. And he'd sneak past our bedroom, down the hall, down the steps, get into the kitchen, get his Honey Nut Cheerios out, get a big bowl out, fill the bowl with Cheerios. Then he'd go to the refrigerator, this three-and-a-half-year-old, go to the refrigerator, grab a gallon of milk, start pouring. Guess what? 
by the time I came downstairs, milk was everywhere, spilling over. He didn't quite know how to control that. But that's a picture for me of the kind of increasing, ever-increasing love for one another, life on life, where it's spilling over and everyone's marked by milk. There's four points that really uh, add to our understanding. And they're not going to be up on the screen, so if you're making notes, it'll help you. But four points about growing in love for one another. Point number one, look back at the verse. And may the Lord cause. He's the catalyst. Isn't it good to know we don't have to manufacture love? He's the cause. He's the cause. He's the catalyst. Knowing Him should produce love for my brother and sister. Point number two. I guess I covered this one. Love for one another should be increasing and abounding. That's that greater and greater and greater until it's spilling over into everyone's mark. But we have a problem. We have a problem. We're sinners saved by grace, right? We're still in the flesh. We still poke each other when we get close together. Loving one another, even though we're brothers and sisters in Christ, can be difficult, can be challenging. Do we not know that? Have we not come through a most difficult time where some stood up and said, no matter what, I'm going to keep loving my brother, my sister. That's what God calls me to do. We're sinners saved by grace, and we're in the process of sanctification. We're in the process of being made holy. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. We're changed into the likeness of Christ, but most of us have a long ways to go. That's the reality. That's what makes Fellowship, even though we're called to it and we must do it, difficult at times. Last Sunday afternoon, as Sarah mentioned, just a wonderful, happy time. You've got to have those times to get through the difficult times. I like what uh, Charles Swindoll, a preacher I used to listen to when I was a brand new Christian back in the late 70s. He's aptly described Christian fellowship as being a lot like two porcupines on a cold winter night moving together for warmth and then quickly moving apart. Getting cold and moving back together for warmth and then quickly moving apart. It's prickly business when you're a porcupine. There are at times, disagreements among brothers and sisters. You experience that in your family. Misunderstandings, occasional accusations. But it's general selfishness that undermines what God wants to happen in 
in the local church, the future bride of Christ. It undermines the command to love one. So what hope do we have? If it can be so difficult coming together as brothers and sisters, being commanded to love one another, but finding it so difficult at times, what hope do we have? Again, I want you to remember the first part of verse 12. The Lord, may the Lord cause you. He's the catalyst for genuine love for brethren. In 1 John, we're going to look at uh, four verses beginning in uh, 1 John 3.10. i got to be honest with you. When, when, when the Spirit of God brought 1 John to mind, thinking about loving one another, and I began to read through these verses that we're going to look at together. Wow, I found it convicting. I found it feeling almost impossible. It's okay to feel that way. So 1 John 3.10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Like father, like son. If you're a child of God who is love, then love should be a dominant characteristic in our life, especially for each other. 1 John 3.14, next verse in 1 John, here we go. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that? Because we love one another. Resurrected in Christ, passing out of death into life. Resurrected in Christ, fully realized Someday at the great uh, white throne. But positionally resurrected in Christ as new creatures. In Christ, we have the capacity to love one another. In darkness, not really. Not when it counts. Not unconditionally. Next 1 John 3.16. Anybody else feeling the conviction? I sure felt it when I read it. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for who? Your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister your brother and sister in Christ. It's self-sacrificing kind of love. It's not necessarily an emotional feel-good, although that often follows doing the right things. But it's self-sacrificing. And then the final uh, two verses in 1 John. This is His commandment 
that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Believing in His name brings life. And love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him. The Lord God in us and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given. You know what? We don't have to manufacture love. We don't have to fake it. It's the Spirit of God who powers that kind of obedience in our lives. It's the Spirit of God that awakens our heart to salvation the righteousness through the finished work of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God who powers us to obey this commandment, love one another. You set emotion aside. It's powered by God through His Spirit to obey. Now we can hinder that. Selfishness is what undermines most often our self-centeredness. We all have it. We all struggle. But I want you to hear these quick aspects of these verses we've read in 1 John. Loving one another, guess what? Not optional. It is to be recognized as a command. It is accomplished by the power of of the Spirit of God. Amen. Thank you, God. I cannot love in my own strength or willpower. Only go so far. My place is to humbly abide in His presence and let Him love through me. When I feel like my heart is not right toward a brother or sister, I need to confess that to Him. And then I need to take action to make it right. Knowing that He will empower through me taking the right steps to make the situation good again. Biblical love is much more than feelings and emotions. It's about choosing to lay down your life for the brethren. It's a decision. It's an act of the will. Yes, God, I hear you. I want to obey you. This might help a little bit. How do you maintain love in your marriage or in a close friendship? How do you maintain that love? I think if you think about it a little bit, same things are applicable in our fellowship together. Don't you put the needs of the other often above your own needs? Don't you find yourself from time to time sacrificing your interests, your needs, your life above the other? Do you pray for the other one, your spouse or your close friend? Do you ask them for 
forgiveness when you've wronged them? You overlook faults, exercise much forbearing. The bottom line is you make an all-in commitment. I don't care what happens, Cheryl. You're stuck with me. That's an all-in commitment. And we've had our challenges along the way. The good times, the tough times, the misunderstandings. But when we signed on before the Lord and before the congregation present, we said vows, and we meant those vows. I'm all in for her. Paul didn't stop there. There's a caveat. Not only are we to love one another in the community of believers, but we're to love all people. Oh, come on. Come on. He says, and for all people. Those outside of the church. Neighbors, co-workers, fellow students. We have students here. Bosses, employees. In-laws and outlaws, governing authorities. I've sat down with an IRS agent a couple of times in my business career. Lord, help me love this person. Kind of hard at the moment. Jesus even said in Luke 6 that we're to love our enemies. Shouldn't we find it pretty easy to love one another compared to loving all people? Compared to loving those, as Jesus said, who imprison you, who insult you, persecute you and those who take your life. We really haven't been tested when it comes to loving one another and loving all people. But a lot of believers who have the same faith in Jesus Christ that we do around the world experience that kind of life. Torture, persecution, insults, loss of jobs. And sometimes loss of life. We need a bigger picture, don't we? Lastly, on those four points, Paul points back at at himself and his team, and he says, that's the way we love you. He says, just as we also do for you. Paul, Timothy, Sylvanus were their examples. You know what I find? It's helpful to spend time with those who love unconditionally, to watch them in action, to learn from them. Paul pointed back at himself and he could confidently say, it's the way we love you. May those men and women Rise up here at Westminster and be our example.
So here's a quick review. The three prayer priorities. Number one, that God would direct the face-to-face reunion with them, fellowship and teaching. Number two, that God would cause them to grow in love for one another. Then the four points we just looked at, the Lord is the catalyst. He's the cause. Our love for one another should be increasing and abounding. Number two, number three, and for all people, those outside of the community of belief, just as we also do for you. We need examples to follow. Third and final point, priority number three, that God would establish them blameless in holiness at the return of Jesus with all the saints. How in the world is that supposed to happen? Are you ready for Jesus to appear today with those who have gone before us? Can you say, yes, I'm blameless in holiness? Paul's final prayer request, I believe, links in a powerful way to his second prayer request. And I believe that one links to the first. Without fellowship and teaching, without being together, hard to grow in love for one another. If we're not spending time together, life on life, experiencing the ups and downs, the the need to forgive, be forgiven, keeping short accounts, that's how we stay blamed. Keeping short accounts. Hearing, I've offended my brother. Getting with him or her. Asking for forgiveness. Keeping short accounts is how I can walk blamelessly day by day. Verse 13 says, so that he may establish. That's foundational. Give you a foundation in your heart without blame and holiness. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Those two little words, so that, is a conjunction. Links one with the other. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, we cannot be found blameless in holiness unless we are in fellowship together, growing in our love for one another, keeping short accounts no way to be blameless in holiness. It takes that fellowship, that life on life, that interaction. That's God's crucible for believers. Life together. Living in community with believers and increasing in love for one another and for all people. We're experiencing that when we leave this room results in having a heart established without blame in holiness when Jesus returns. What is holiness? Very quickly, two, two aspects of holiness. Holiness is positional in Christ. And number two, holiness is progressive. What does that mean? means when I receive Christ, when I hear the gospel respond by the Holy Spirit's power to this invitation for the free gift of salvation 
and I'm placed in Christ by faith, I'm made holy positionally in God's sight. Or righteous. Or sanctified. For time and eternity. But practically speaking, holiness is progressive. It increases as I walk with the Lord and in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot have one without the other. If you are separating yourself from the body of Christ, you cannot grow in love for one another. You can't experience the crucible of becoming blameless in holiness. Holiness is developed primarily within the community of believers. About ready to close. You know, my dad was a Marine. Do we have any Marines here? And I won't say ex-Marine because once a Marine, always a Marine. And you don't call them soldiers or airmen. They are Marines. And he was pretty quiet about it. He didn't talk about it much. He was in during the Korean War. The only thing he would say from time to time was that, yeah, boot camp was hard. He didn't talk a lot. I, I talk a lot more than my dad talked. But we understood whatever that life experience was for this hardened farm boy, it was the toughest thing up to that point and probably beyond that he'd ever experienced. Near the end of boot camp for Marines, Today, there's a very intense final challenge. You know what it's called? It's called the crucible. There should be a picture of some Marines. There we go. Was that already up? Okay. It's called the crucible. It's an intense final challenge. Hard-tested men who've already endured a lot now have 54-hour intense test. They're sleep-deprived. They're food-deprived. They're physically exhausted at marching or running from here to here. They're mentally exhausted trying to figure out where they're at. Live rounds are fired overhead. It's a scary thing. And most of the operations are in darkness. If you survive the crucible, your drill sergeant will finally call you a Marine. Up till then, you're just a boot. You're just a recruit. You have no title, no privilege, no uh, personal ownership of maybe your toothbrush. If you ask a Marine who survived boot camp and the crucible, what did it take to accomplish that? Most will say the number one thing to come out on the other side of the crucible is this. You must work together and stay together as a team. That's powerful. 
Isn't that what we need? Hebrews 10, the last verse, just want to look at it with you. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Paul says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I shouldn't go out on that limb, should I? Let us consider, look at these words, listen to these words. Let us consider, we're thinking about it, we're planning how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There it is again. Jesus is coming back. Paul's urgent prayer is about being in fellowship together. Here the writer says, not forsaking our assembling together, because if you quit getting together, you're not going to grow in love. You're not going to experience the crucible of becoming blameless in holiness. Jesus is coming back. Will you be found blameless in holiness when he shows up? Let's pray. Father, our hearts are quieted. We consider your truth this morning. As we see the end goal, the consummation of the ages when Jesus comes back with his saints, we'll either be in that crowd or as believers witnessing his arrival. Father, it's our prayer this morning that you enable us to keep seeing how important it is to remain together, to fellowship together, to love one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to endure the testings that come, that we might be found blameless in holiness at the return of Jesus. We just commit this powerful need of our heart and our fellowship.